What's your dream? What's your goal? What's your motivation? What's important to you? What's your passion? What can you do to change the world? This is What's Involved. Conversations with thought leaders and change makers from around the world. Hear stories of hope and inspiration to help motivate people like you to live your life, find your passion, and live your dream. Together, we can all bring positive change to our world. Now, here's your host, David Watts. And once more, it is What's Involved. Special guest today, as always. Uh, he is, well, he's a fascinating gentleman. He's done a lot of, a lot of things in his life. Um, but uh, we'll get into all of that. Let me first introduce him. Uh, my guest today is Jeff Smith. Hello, Jeff. Hey, David. How are you today? I am always exceptionally well, especially when I get to talk to uh, people that I find interesting and fascinating and that I know will give some great value to, to my listeners. So let's start off right at the very beginning, if we can. Uh, who is... Yeah. Jeff Smith. Where, where did Jeff, Jeff Smith come along from and where is he now? Wow, that's a big question. So, so, um, well, I was born at a very early age. <laughs> it's probably my opening line, that one. <laughs> yeah, so um, I had wonderful parents. I live in the UK. I still live in the UK. Wonderful parents, very loving treated me well. Um, I went to school and I really wasn't interested. Uh, from my parents' point of view, I, I mean, I'm a parent, I have two kids. And when uh, we were putting our kids through school, I tried to be the best mentor I could be to my kids and to help them with all of those things. My parents were not mentors to me. They, they just got me ready, sent me off to school, and when I came back, there was food on the table, and that, that was it. There was never discussions about school. Now, what happened is that I took up music from the age of about nine, and I was a keyboard player, and my only interest in life was playing music. I was not interested in school. And of course, my parents were interested in me playing music. So that was the priority of my life at the time. As a result of that, really, I was lazy. I wasn't stupid or anything. I was just lazy at school. I had no interest and I just wanted to play music. So I came through school, finished school. I failed maths, failed English. And here I am, the author of the best-selling book in the world, on a book about mathematics, which is quite incredible, really. So what I'd like to share today is how on earth did that transformation happen from being, let me say, lazy, uh, little education, to come on to write a book and be on record as the most successful author in the world? How did it happen? So what happened? I left school and like many people uh, in my area at the time, couldn't afford university or anything like that. It was never on the radar for me, um, but I secured an apprenticeship. And I, the factory that I used to work at was 10 miles away. So I got on my, um, my bicycle, rain, wind, snow, cycled to work, worked all day, cycled back. And I thought that would be it for my life. In the background, of course, I'm playing music. And my life began to change 
and my parents' 25th wedding anniversary. So I'd be about 16 years old. It was my mum and dad's 25th wedding anniversary and they decided to hold a party. So they hired a club, they hired a band, which you could do at that time, and um, invited people from their work. And there was about 200 people there. And there's a song called The Anniversary Waltz, if I play The Anniversary Waltz for my mum and dad. And the, guy, the band leader said, wow. And he, I mean, I'm 16, and I looked about 12. I was a young-looking kid. So, <laughs> excuse me. So I said, yes, yeah, sure. And um, what do you want to play? I said, I'll play the keyboards. And he said, do you want the rest of the band on? And I said, no, just the drummer will be fine, thank you. So he said, okay, here's what we'll do. After the break, we'll come into the dance floor for the anniversary waltz. And then I'll say, but the band are not going to play the anniversary waltz. It will be Jeff, and then you walk on stage, the band walks off, all apart from the drummer, and then you play the anniversary waltz for your mum and dad. How's that? I mean, yeah, that would be great. You know, I nerves. It was, wow. I'd never been on stage before or anything like that, so my stomach was churning, all of these things. So what happened? The band used I came on, mum and dad were in the middle of the dance floor, and of course, emotional, tears in their eyes. I start playing, they dance, they're hugging each other, and then the dance floor fills. So it was a wonderful time, a wonderful event in my life. I finished, came off stage, and a guy came over to me, and he said, wow, you're a fantastic player. How old are you? I, I think I was 16 at the time, 17. And he said, how good will you be when you're 26, 27? And I said, I don't know. I just love music. And he said, I'd like to give you some gigs. I'd like you to um, play in some clubs and things like that. How would you like that? And I said, I don't think so. Now, let me put this into context now. I used to cycle to work on my bicycle, work all day, cycle back, and I used to get paid £7.91. Per week. That's about $10, 10 US dollars. So this guy said, I'll give you some gigs to play during the week. I'll start you off with three nights and then I'll pay you 40 pounds a night. That's like 55, 60 dollars. Sure. Yeah, like, wow. Bad. <laughs> it's like times three. So I think, right, give me a nanosecond to think about that. <laughs> So my dad came over, he saw this conversation going on and I explained what had happened. And he said, well, you can do that, but what I suggest you do is continue and finish your apprenticeship, get your proper qualification, and then you can decide whether you want to stay in engineering or, or go into music full time. That will be up to you. So that's what I did. And what happened, I used to play in nightclubs because about that time, CDs were not invented. Backing tracks were not available. So as a cabaret artist, if you wanted to sing or, or perform on stage, you needed live music. So I used to sight read, so I was the live musician. Uh, so I did that during the day. I got qualified as the engineer, and then I gave it up, and I became a professional musician. I then uh, had a job during the day of selling organs, pianos, keyboards, guitars, and in, in a music store. And one day, a guy came in. So now I'm about 
18 years old, 1978. A guy came in and he arrives at the front of the store and he's black, 9-11, you know, and I'm looking at this and thinking, wow. Now, to put this into context also, I would not say we were poor because I think that's a state of mind. We were broke. That's a, that's a state of pockets, right? So <coughs> this guy pulls up in this Porsche 911, and I thought, wow, my dream car. And then he walks towards me. He's coming into the store. Wow, fantastic. So a long story short, he comes in and he buys this latest technology keyboard organ, which is £4,000. Now, let me put that into context. The house that we were living in was £2,000, owned by the state, and my parents used to pay rent because we couldn't afford to buy the house at £2,000. And here's oh. this guy in a Porsche 911, walks in and buys this state-of-the-art piece of equipment for £4,000. And it's, wow. So this guy, he says to me, special request for you, Jeff. I'd like you to de deliver this to my home on Monday. It was a Thursday at the time. Deliver it on Monday, deliver it to my home, and I want you to play it in my house for me, which is not an unusual request. So I said, yes, that's no problem, but we need cleared funds before that happens. He said, that's okay, I'll pop in on Saturday. So this guy arrives in the store on Saturday in the city centre with a plastic shopping bag, comes up to my desk and tips out £4,000 in folding money. It's, wow, I think wow. the most I've ever seen was about £500, you know. It's like, what on earth? I mean, oh, goodness me. So um, I called the boss, we came over, we got the money moved, and then I went to deliver the um, piece of equipment to this guy's house on the Monday. It was surrounded by a brick wall and had electric gates. This is 1977. This is like James Bond territory, you know? And he had video on the gate, which unheard of at the time for me. So I press the button and he comes on. Okay, Jeff, you can come in now. And then the electric gates open. I drive down. I could hear the gravel under the tires as we're going down the drive. And then there's this arched double doorway, and he opens the one side. Then he opens the other side, and he said, bring it through to the east wing. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness me. This, let me call it house, was U-shaped. And I remember I went in and I put my foot on the carpet and this stays with me today. It was so significant. I put my foot on the carpet and it sank into the carpet and I'd never experienced that before. The, the pile on the carpet was so deep. So we took the keyboard through, we played it for him and I came away from there, went home and I remember putting the key in our front door and the 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 front door was loose in the door frame. I put my foot on the carpet and it was almost solid. And I thought, wow. Now, here's a guy that was driving a Porsche 911, bought the state-of-the-art keyboard 
for £4,000, lived in this huge mansion and obviously very wealthy. And my dad was the manager of the largest machine shop in Europe, had a hand in building bridges all over the world, and we broke. So I'm thinking, how is it that can happen? What's the difference? And this is where my journey started. It's, it was really, David, I asked myself the question, what is it that makes successful people successful? And at that time, as a teenager, I attributed success to equal wealth and money. Of course, now I don't. I've matured and learned a lot since then. But the original question was, how does a millionaire become a millionaire? And because I was back in cabaret and a very good player, I was exposed to lots of famous people, rich people, and successful people. So what I decided to do was to interview them Formally, I had some questions formulated and I decided to ask them what they did and how they did it. And what I discovered, they all have in common 11 things. I call it the 11 steps of success, if you will. Now, well, Jeff, I think yeah. so far I'm enthralled. I'm sure everybody else is enthralled. Sure. When we come back, can we start to have a look at some of those 11 steps maybe just absolutely into yeah. a couple of them and uh, we'll see where we go from there this is what's involved my special guest is jeff smith uh from uh cabaret artist to well we'll we'll cover what he's doing now as well uh because it's no longer cabaret i can tell you that back in a bit you're listening to what's involved with david watts have you been to our website check it out www.whatsinvolved.com and while you're there, click on the coffee mug icon and buy David a cup of coffee. He'll love it. We're back with my special guest, Jeff Smith. Uh, so just before the break, you told us that you'd interviewed a bunch of people and you'd come up with 11 things that they have in common. And I know we don't have time to go into all 11 steps, but... Let's, let's talk about, about some of them and, and, and how you came across uh, these traits, these character traits. Yeah, certainly. So what was fascinating about it, after interviewing them, some of these people were aware of some of the steps. Some people were aware of all of the steps. Incredibly, some of the people were not aware, but they all did the same 11 things anyway which is what's fascinating. So once I captured these 11 steps, my idea was if I apply these 11 steps to my life, perhaps then I can achieve the levels of success that I want to achieve in my life. So this is how I got the journey from failing at mathematics and English to becoming the most successful author in the world with a book about mathematics. What I did, I applied 11 steps. So let's get started. What are they? The first step is probably the most important and without doubt, the most difficult. It's the one I think probably, I would say 98% of people can't do it. They struggle with it. So step one is, what do you want? Most people can't answer that question. And now, the reason I say that is because 
the difference between successful people and those still trying is clarity and definiteness of purpose, if you will. Let me give you an example. When, I'm, when I meet with a group of people and someone asks a question about this, I'll say, what do you want? And the usual answer, Dave, is most people say, oh, more money. So I put my hand in my pocket, I pull out a dollar bill, I give it to them, and I'll say, there you are, your dreams are fulfilled. And they go, no, no, <laughs> you know I didn't mean that, Jeff. I said, no, I didn't know you meant that. And that's the point I want to make. So if you imagine, I don't want to into religion or anything like that, but imagine, let's call the universe delivers to you. And if you ask the universe for something, it can't give it to you unless it knows what you want. So if you say, I want more money, then giving you a dollar has fulfilled because you've asked for more money, you have more money. Now, the difference between generic wishes like that and incredibly successful people, successful people are very, very specific about what they want. So here's what a successful person, what their goals and aspiration would be. If you say, what do you want? You say, I want a million dollars and I want it on the 23rd of June, 2023, I want to look at my bank statements. I'll, I'll see a number of transactions there, but the one will be on there will say $1 million and I'll pick it up 12 noon on the 23rd of June. That $1 million will be there. And that's the difference, Dave, is that successful people know exactly to the nth degree what they want, where others who are trying have goals that are far too generic and can't deliver. If, if I could the jump other in one. there. Sorry, yeah, Jeff, if sure, I could jump in sure. before, we, before we go ahead. Um, I was involved with a group of guys. Uh, it was a company called Empowerment Concepts. And uh, we were teaching these empowerment uh, trainings. And on the training, there was one lady. And when we asked this very same question, what do you want? She said, I want to drive a yellow Porsche 944. And we were like, yeah. okay, you know, that's fine. And uh, we finished the training. We told everybody, we said, and, and one of my favorite sayings is always, be careful what you ask for, you might just get it. Absolutely. Um, and and in, re in reference to this, where the, the universe um, will give you what you ask for, um, she phoned us about a month later and she was in fits of laughter. She said, you're not going to believe this. Remember I said to you I wanted to drive the yellow Porsche 944? I was like, yep. She goes, got to do it. Got to do it. My boss bought a new car and uh, he asked me if I could just move it over to one of the other bays so it could get washed. And it was the yellow Porsche 944. So better, better be careful what you ask for. Be very, very clear. Yeah, absolutely. And really, Dave, that is the, if there's one thing that's a difference between successful people and others who are trying, it's that. It's being clear, absolutely clear, with absolute clarity about what you want. Now, if she just said, I want to drive a Porsche, then the outcome might have been different. 
But the yellow Porsche 944 was very definite, very, very, very clear. So the universe is able to deliver. The other thing, you know, you say, I want to pick up on what you said about be careful what you wish for. The other thing is, in all of things, you become what you think about. So be careful what you think about. Now, your subconscious mind or the universe or whatever does not have the ability to understand a negative context. Right. Now, let me explain that. I'm not talking about positive thinking and negative thinking. I'm not talking about that. This is what I'm talking about. If you say you do not want something, that's what I mean by the negative context in a sentence. So let me give you an example. Next time you go onto Google or any other search engine, the way it searches is exactly the same way as we think. It's the same way our brain works. For instance, if you were to type in there, yellow Porsche 944, what would come up is yellow Porsche 944, and you'd have many different variants of them because it's very specific. If you're more generic and you said in a negative context, do not show me a red car, Google doesn't have the ability to come back to you, neither does your subconscious brain. It can't do this. It doesn't say, oh, you don't want to see a red car, so what do you want to see instead? We don't have that ability. So our brain takes out the negative context of your thoughts, as in, do not show me, and all, it, all it's left with then is the red car. And Google works the same way. You should try this. So type in a search, do not show me a red car, and what will come up is just red cars. Nothing else but red cars. I'm definitely going to be doing that. I, I want to test that one out because um, also just getting back to this, and we're going to take another short break and then get back to some more of those steps. Um, so often in my experience, people, if you, say to, if you ask them what do you want, they battle, as you say, to tell you. But if you ask them what they don't want, they very quick, there's a big long list of all the things they don't want. You know, um, I don't want to get ill is quite a, quite a famous one. You know, and I'm always going, yeah, well, you've got to be careful about that because, as I said, be careful what you ask for. Anyway, before we dive too deeply down that particular rabbit hole, uh, this is what's involved. My special guest is uh, Jeff Smith, and, uh, man, he's got some fascinating things to do. He's, he's literally... Um, known as the best author in the world or the biggest selling author in the world. Um, and he's written books, he's published books, he's been on various TV uh, uh, platforms, he's been on, I believe it's on Sky as well. And the bit that got me interested in, in Jeff was uh, the bit where I learned that he'd failed maths and English at high school. I passed English, but maths was not my best subject. So when we come back, we'll have some more from Jeff Smith, this is What's Involved. We'll be right back with more What's Involved. David would love to hear from you. To leave a voice message, visit whatsinvolved.com and click drop me a voice note. And we're back with my special guest, Jeff Smith, talking uh, about what he does with his life. Uh, because he's, the, and we're not gonna get into that. Maybe I'll save that for another interview. Um, but he's known as the KPI guy. 
Um, and that's where a lot of the books, et cetera, have been written around. Um, but he's also um, a motivational, inspirational speaker. Um, he does trainings all over the world. So now we're talking about these steps, Jeff. Now, I don't know if, if uh, that was step number two that we covered uh, just before the break, but uh, if not, let's get into step number two. Okay, it actually was step one, which is knowing what you want. Ah. Step two, you can't do step two until you've done step one. And step two is to write it down, but to write it down with clarity. Every successful person I've met that's achieved big has their aspirations written down. Now, here's a fascinating thing. You can start off by typing it in your word processor on your computer. But there's a, a huge difference between holding a pen and writing down what you want as opposed to typing it on screen. So by all means, type it on screen, get clarity. Now, let me put that into context for you. When I started to write my book, I'd never written a book before. I didn't know how to do it. I just knew the outcome that I wanted. And in order to get absolute clarity on it, it, Dave, it took me three months to really understand what it was that I wanted to achieve. And then I wrote it down and then I used to read it every morning. So step one is to know what you want with clarity. Step two then is to write it down with clarity so you can understand this, perhaps share it with someone else so they can understand it too. So that's the second step. The third step, this is three R's, as in review, react, revise. Like I said, it took me three months to pull my goal together. So daily, I was seeking clarity to be more accurate, to be more clear, so that there was no ambiguity and the universe could deliver. And it took me three months to get it to a position of clarity that I could say, yes, I've done it. The other thing is to write your goal like it's already happened. So when I did my goal, I didn't say, I want to write a book or I'm writing a book. My language structure was, I have written a book. It is the best-selling book in the world on its subject matter. So I'd written it like it had already happened. And the reason for that day makes a big psychological impact when you're working towards your goal. The whole thing becomes more believable. If you say, I will write a book or, or I plan to do, it's a non-specified point in the future and the universe can't get a handle on it. When it's completed, it it's, can be delivered to you. And that's what happened with me. So let me just review that then. Step one, to know what you want in clarity. Step two is to write it down and be clear. So step one has to be absolute. And then step three is to regularly read it, review it, revise it, and get as much clarity on it as you possibly can. So in other words, and, and, and I've heard people speak as well, and um, vision boards, for example. A lot of people talk about vision boards yeah. um, and, and having a picture. How important 
is picturing yourself having achieved that specific goal. Because I love what you say about writing it down. There's something, I don't know, there's something more visceral, more primal about writing than typing. And, and I'm a big fan. I want everything to be like online and on this and it must automate that. And But uh, when I really want to get down to brass tacks, I write. Yeah. So, so the picture side, there is something there? So... So, uh, well, I'll explain what I did. <clears throat> I then decided on the title of my book, and it doesn't have to be cast in stone right up until the end. So I had some wonderful titles for my book. So it was um, How to Make More Profit and Keep It, How to Make More Profit in Less Time, some real sexy titles all based around profit. Then I'd take my goal and I'd share it with other people. Why did I do that? Because I wanted some feedback. And here's the secret, Dave, between writing a book that you want to write and writing a book that people want to buy. The difference is massive. That's the difference between selling 100 copies or 100,000 copies. So what I did, I wrote, before I wrote a single word, and I help people to write books. So I don't help with the content. I help them mentally to get ready to write a book. And one of the things I ask them to do then is sell me the book first before they start writing. And if anyone listening is thinking of writing a book, please take this away. This is the most valuable part. Before you write, write the advertisement for your book. So imagine it's already completely sold. And now I'll take what you've said to me, Dave. How important is vision? Create the book as a visual content on your advertisement. That's what I did. So I got some software. It's readily available to create a book cover. I put my name on it, of course. Wow, that was cool. And then the book title and the color. And, I, and then I wrote an advertisement. I printed it out and I shared the advertisement with people and they'd say, oh, so what is this book about then, Jeff? So I'd explain what the book was about and everybody said, oh, that will be a KPI book then. And I, okay. Now, that was the reason I wrote the advert. First of all was to say, is this a product that people would want to buy? Because I don't want to spend my life creating products that people don't want to buy. So I had to make the, the advert really sexy enough so people would read it and say, wow, when can I buy the book? That was the response I wanted. And that was the response I got eventually. Oh, fantastic <laughs> stuff. Jeff, I, yeah. we, we're flying through this interview, as I do with all yeah. of them. Um, we are running out of time. So when we come back, um, let's... Uh, dive in a little bit to, to what is Jeff Smith doing now and, uh, you know, talk about what you're offering people. We'll do that when we come back. This is What's Involved with my special guest, Jeff Smith. Hey, like what you're hearing? Share the podcast with your family and friends and spread the word. This is What's Involved. And we're back. What's Involved? That is Jeff Smith, my guest, uh, and we're wrapping it up with him already. And you know what? I might just use this as an excuse to get him on the show again. I think that's probably what I will do. <laughs> With your permission, of course, Jeff. <laughs> of course, Dave. My pleasure. So 
Where are you at now in your life? Because you've done so much, you've achieved so much. Um, are you at that stage where you're now wanting to share knowledge, to give back? To Where, where are you? Okay, so why did I want to write a book in the first place probably answers this question. So this book was first published in 2001, so quite a few years ago. And my primary motivator for writing the book was that I'd been working in the automotive industry for a number of years, perhaps 20 years, and the industry had been very good to me. So I'd finished being a professional musician I'd found the ladder of success climbing up the wrong wall. It wasn't what I wanted. So I finished being a professional musician and moved into the automotive industry, came through the automotive industry from sales to um, dealer principal, became a group director, operations director over 10 franchise dealerships, won numerous awards. And then I joined a consultancy company to help others to give back. Then in 1999, I started my own company. And one of the first things I wanted to do was to write this book as an act of contribution so I could give back to the industry that had looked after me so well, because there are a number of people that were traveling the path that I traveled and there was no help for them. So I was thinking, if I can help, let me say a thousand people, that's a thousand books, then that would be a nice way for me to give back to the people and say, thank you for helping you don't have to work as hard as I did. Here's a helping hand. That was the reason. So I've always had a sense of contribution. Set up the company in 1999, published the book in 2001. It way surpassed 1,000 copies, as you can imagine. It's gone on to be the most successful book in history of all time, which is wonderful. And, and I'm blessed and I'm thankful. Uh, I, I speak at conferences. This is what I do. I talk about key performance indicators, business strategy, how to get from where you are to where you want to be in business. I do training courses. I spend a lot of time with automotive industry, but I also spend time with other industries too for them to clearly understand what key performance indicators are about. They're like a roadmap to get you from where you are to where you want to be, and then apply the principles of success over the top of that so you can accelerate your performance. That's what I do. I continue to write books. I speak at conferences. I go all over the world. I think the, the count now on countries is 76 different countries. So I've been around a bit. Hundreds of cities. And of course, my work has touched the lives of millions of people, for which I'm blessed. I spend a lot of my time, though, giving back and working for charities. I've been CEO of a, a charity in the UK, which is um, providing aerial assistance because I'm a pilot. So we fly medication to save lives, things like that. There's another one where I was chairman of where we were associated with the United Nations and got younger children, teaching them to speak, to share their message, and to present at United Nations. I've now set up the Jeff Smith Foundation, so that enables me to help people who are less fortunate than ourselves. So what I'm able to do is take disabled people, people are blind, deaf, all kinds of things like that, suffering serious illness, or indeed a terminal illness, and I help them with their bucket list. 
uh, take them flying and all kinds of stuff, help them with specialist equipment they might need. So that's what fulfills me at the moment. So that's about half of my life. And then the other half of my life is speaking at conferences and running training. And of course, writing another book. One of the books I might yet write is The 11 Steps of Success. I've not quite got around to it yet. I'm not sure if there's a need for it. I haven't asked or created there's, there's, there's a need. There's a need. I can, <laughs> I can guarantee that. Jeff, just to, just to interject again, though, um, sure. we've been talking about the, the KPI book. What yep. is the book title? It's called The KPI Book. <laughs> now you know um here's a fascinating thing you know i had all these sexy titles and the feedback all the all of the feedback i got back was oh wow that will be a kpi book and i'm thinking i'm not going to swim against the tide here i'm going to call it the kpi book exactly and that's what, what it, it says is. on the tin Absolutely. Now, the reason I'm called the KPI guy, again, I didn't give this to myself. So I, I speak quite a lot at conferences around the world. And after the conference, maybe there's three or four different speakers. And you'll hear the interviews afterwards and they'll say, who was your favorite speaker? Now, they might not remember the name Jeff Smith. And I'd watch these videos afterwards with the testimonials. <laughs> it was quite funny. And they'd say, who was your favorite speaker today? And they go, oh, yeah, you know, um, the um, you know, the KPI guy, what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> so it just got thrust upon me. I am Jeff Smith, the KPI guy. And that, that's how the book title came about. And that's how this title for me came about. Fantastic. And that book obviously available on Amazon. If somebody looks up Jeff Smith, they'll find the KPI book and a couple of the others that uh, you've written as well. Yeah, yeah. I've written seven altogether. The best place to get it is jeff-smith.com. Jeff-smith.com. Now, what else do you do? Because I know you've moved some of your stuff online, your trainings. If anybody wants to find out a bit more about Jeff Smith, I mean, you said you helped writers and and my ears perked up because I, I remember I was told by, by an author, um, they actually, she owns a company called The Writing Room. She said, yes. Everybody, everybody's got a story inside of them. Some people should just leave them there, though. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm like, how exciting would my life be if that was the presumption? But if somebody has got a book or is wanting to write a book, or, is that something that you offer people? Yes, it is, but it's not the actual writing part. So I don't consider myself to be a writer. Even though I've written seven books, I'm writing another one right now. The writing side of it, I don't really enjoy it. I do it because I've been blessed with this gift. And part of that contribution is to write and give back. That, that's one of the ways I give back. So I don't get involved in the writing, but what I do get involved in, if people want assistance, is before you start writing is that clarity on what do you want? Why are you writing a book? Who are you? And why are you the right person to write this book? And then create the advert and then sell the book before you've written it. Now, the power in that. That's a completely different thing to writing a book and then trying to sell it. 
because you're writing a book that you want to write rather than writing a book that people want to buy. So I help with the beginning phase. Why should you write it? How should you write it? What should it look like? Why will people buy it? What will they do when they've bought it? What benefit will they get from it? Create the adverse. And you do all of that before you write a, word, a single word. And the reason for it, once you've done that and you've got your goal, once you start writing, you have to compare what you've written with what you've sold to people. And that will determine how you write, what you write, and the content of your book. And that's why it's so important to get that right in the beginning. And that's how I help people. That's what I do. I wish I was, I wish you were around because, um, and in fact, we've, we've chatted about this uh, uh, prior to this uh, interview, uh, when we were writing our How to Sell Motor Vehicles course. Uh, yes. Because we, 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 we figured it out. There was definitely, and we wrote this brilliant training um, the, all the workbooks and it had audio narration and we went, here it is, take it grateful people of the motor trade and they all went, yeah, no, yeah. no, no. <laughs> so I wish you were around then. Um, I've, I've heard so many stories <laughs> like that, Dave, so many. Jeff, before I let you go, if somebody would like to get in touch with you, have a bit of a chat with you, whether it's about a speaking engagement, whether they've, they've just resonated with you and thought, hell, I'd like to find out more about Jeff Smith and his foundation, where's the best place to get hold of you? Uh, Jeff-Smith.com. So there's lots of information there, but there's a menu tab that says chat. If you click on the chat, you can go straight to my diary, book an appointment, and then we can have a chat online. And I don't charge for that. I'm just happy to help people. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. So it's uh, jeff-smith.com. Uh, once you're there, just check out the link and go and have a chat with Jeff. I can highly recommend it. Wraps it up for this edition of What's Involved. Jeff, thank you so much and thanks for taking the time out. Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. Wonderful stuff. Uh, we do hope to chat to Jeff again. As I said, it wraps it up for What's Involved. To each and every one of you, take care. Look after yourselves and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to What's Involved. We hope this episode inspires you to find your passion and live your dream. Don't forget to rate, review, and share the podcast. And to see what's happening, what's going on, and what's coming, follow What's Involved on Facebook and Twitter at What's Involved. Thanks again for listening.